Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Sigile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Sudan's exiled opposition leader Riek Machar arrives in Juba and South Africa's international relations minister meets ambassadors to ease tensions. In economics news, South Africa among top tourist attractions in sub-Saharan Africa and in sports news, South African proteas prepare for T20 internationals against India. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. The UN's top human rights official, Michelle Bachelet, has expressed a sadness at what she calls terrible incidents of xenophobic and gender-based killings in South Africa. At least 13 people have been killed in attacks on foreign nationals in Gauteng province. The shops of mostly foreign nationals have also been looted or torched, leaving many people destitute. Michelle Bachelet was delivering the opening statement at the 42nd session of the Human Rights Council in Geneva. I have been saddened uh, by the terrible recent incidents of xenophobic violence in South Africa, where there have also been persistent and serial reports of gender-based killings. All people in South Africa, citizens and foreign nationals alike, are entitled to fundamental rights under the Constitution and international human rights law. I note with appreciation the President's recent statement and urge the authority to act swiftly to ensure protection for the victims and accountability for the perpetrators to stem the tide of these crimes. Nigeria says it will repatriate some 600 Nigerians back home from South Africa after a wave of violence against foreigners, which leads to tensions between the two countries. Nigeria's Consul General in Johannesburg has told the BBC some will leave on two flights on Wednesday. Only those who are under distress as a result of the attacks will leave South Africa from their home country. Abike Dabire, head of, of the Nigerians in Diaspora Commission, says the government will not provide financial assistance to those leaving South Africa. She says Abuja will continue to hold the South African authorities accountable and insists South Africa pays compensation to Nigerians who have suffered losses in the country. Some displaced foreign nationals in Katlehong, east of Johannesburg, say they are ready to abandon their pursuit of a better life in South Africa and go back to their countries of origin. About 800 foreign nationals have been displaced by last week's xenophobic attacks in Katlehong and are being sheltered at community halls in the township. These people are from neighboring countries including Zimbabwe, Malawi, Mozambique and Somalia. We are Malawi. I come from Malawi and I stay here in Mandela. They came at 2 p.m. during the day and told us to get out or else they will beat us up or burn our house. So I got out and ran to the police station. Right now, leave everything that you are doing. Just take small clothes for your kids and run. They break everything for our our properties. But if a government to help us, our properties, and we can live here. 
The UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, has unveiled an installation in New York to represent the thousands of children killed in conflict zones in 2018. The installation is currently on display on the lawns of the UN headquarters. The agency says children pay the heaviest price in ongoing conflicts from Afghanistan to South Sudan. The Secretary General spokesperson, Stefan Dujaric. It shows the devastating scale of child deaths in conflict zone in 2018. It was unveiled this weekend. Um, The display features 3,758 backpacks in rows reminiscent of a graveyard, each one representing the loss of a young life to conflict. According to UNICEF, the installation, which will run through the September 10th, is a message to world leaders as children in many parts of the world are returning back to school and just days ahead of the annual General Assembly. And finally, North Korea's Vice Foreign Minister Chi Son-wee says her country is willing to hold nuclear talks with the United States later this month. Just a day ago, the U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said he hoped that talks on denuclearization would restart soon. North Korea has warned that it will not accept any denuclearization scenarios it has been offered in the past. That's the news. Headlines at 7.30 Central African time. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. South Africa's International Relations Minister Dr. Naledi Pandu has assured ambassadors that South Africa will take the necessary steps to end the xenophobic attacks in the country. Pandu was speaking after meeting with ambassadors in the capital, Pretoria, on Monday. Clement Mahlang reports. The two-hour-long meeting in Pretoria sought to come up with solutions to prevent attacks on foreign nationals and their businesses. Minister Naledi Pando says the ambassadors raised important issues during the meeting which needed swift response from government. She says government will take the necessary steps to prevent further attacks. On the recent uh, events uh, of violence uh, against foreign nationals in South Africa, both to reassure them Uh, that the government is taking all the measures that it can uh, in order to ensure uh, that we return uh, stability and calm uh, to our country, but also to discuss with them uh, steps that we need to take in order to proactively uh, prevent such occurrences uh, in future. Pando says she has also received assurances that South African businesses in Nigeria will be protected from looters. It was quite clear that the police will act decisively uh, should such incidents uh, continue. And I think that's what we need. Uh, Our president has been firm here and in the other capitals. My colleague in Nigeria, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, informed me very clearly that their forces, the police, will take action and will ensure uh, that property and persons are protected. Meanwhile, the Dean of Foreign Ambassadors, Ben Mboko, 
says they also face the problem of fake news. Mboko says fake news circulating on social media has fueled tensions between foreigners and South Africans. Uh, members of the community sometimes they react to that and they think that's the reality. Member, people in the continent of Africa, they've been sending us, they've been sending messages, believing that what they see in the video and so forth is a reality, which is not. But the challenge is, how do you deal with that? It becomes very difficult. Pando told diplomats that South Africa remains committed to strengthening ties with all African countries. I'm Clement Matlangu, Pretoria. The current wave of xenophobic violence, which has already claimed more, more than 10 lives in South Africa, should be dealt with decisively to safeguard the country's tourism industry. This emerged at the South Africa-China Culture and Tourism Cooperation Promotion Conference in Pretoria. Tourism contributes about 136 billion rands towards the country's gross domestic product annually. Fennel Schumer reports. Tourism accounts for about 1.5 million jobs for the country. However, many South Africans are likely to lose their jobs due to a drop in tourism bookings. Stakeholders believe the ongoing incidence of xenophobia could collapse the tourism and travel industries. They believe there is a need for an urgent dialogue between all stakeholders in the tourism industry, government and law enforcement agencies. CEO of the African Tourism Board, Doris Hoffel, says such engagements should happen speedily. Travelling is affected. People are scared to travel and South Africans are in danger in other countries in Africa. So obviously there is a major effect onto, into the intra-African travel, but also from overseas. So in my opinion, this needs to be communicated and that this challenge of xenophobia has to be dealt with in the right way in order to prepare the ground for our Chinese visitors to come here. And I believe that the Chinese and South African government need to sit together to discuss how they can even in future also deal with the situation. Some travel operators attending the conference also shared similar sentiments. Patricia Ngumalo of Harvey World Travel in Pretoria says the number of tourists has dropped as people are afraid to travel. A lot. People can't even um, go on vacation because of what is happening. They are afraid of xenophobic whenever they travel as well. And I think last week we've had our embassies are being closed some in some of the countries as well. So it's not so good. It's very bad. People are scared to travel. Junior Nubim is from Kuela Fleet Management, a shuttle service that transports local and international tourists to various tourist attraction spots around the country. He's equally concerned about incidents of violence affecting business. Uh, business now has its ups and downs. You know, every business has their peak season and their low season, but we try and maintain uh, a number of uh, business coming through. But uh, with the events happening, it's been quite a problem because um, we get pickups in the CBD, Pretoria and Joburg, and when there's such violence, it's hard for us to pick up our people. Figures indicate that in 2017, there were over 62.7 million international tourist arrivals to Africa, an increase of 8.5% from 2016. South Africa accounts for 10.3 million 
of that number. However, China is seen as the world's number one market for foreign tourists, accounting for 70 million overseas annually. Meanwhile, South Africa has embarked on a concerted drive to attract Chinese tourists to visit some of the country's tourist attraction spots. Fanuel Schumer, Pretoria. Tune in to Vision 2030 with Ona Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One, hashtag Vision 2030. South African telecoms giant MTN has warned that continued attacks on foreign nationals in South Africa will have a negative impact on foreign direct investment into Africa. The mobile phone giant says tensions have impacted stakeholder and investor relations around the continent. This comes after the Nigerian division of the South African telecoms operator shut its stores and service centers until further notice following attacks on its facilities in several cities last week. The attacks were in retaliation to South Africans targeting mostly foreign-owned businesses in South Africa's Gauteng province. Lengiwem Kize reports. Police Minister Peggy Tele met with some members of the business community who voiced their concerns about the looting and attacks that mainly targeted foreign-owned shops. MTN CEO Rob Shooter has condemned the attacks. We've had facilities damaged in Nigeria was limited to four stores. We've also had to close some stores in South Africa. We closed the head office in Nigeria for a while. I think the most significant negative implication is more around the sentiment. MTN Group is owned almost 50% by international investors. And so we will have now a whole other topic to discuss already on top of other complexities of doing business in these markets. Africa is in tremendous need of foreign direct investment and we are concerned about the implications of the situation on investor sentiment long term. Minister Tlaila says at least 12 people have lost their lives since the looting began. He says this is criminality because even shops owned by locals have been targeted. We arrest people that burn, destroy, kill, injure other people. People are causing a doing criminality here regardless of checking at the end of the day who suffers. People have died. Last week when the president gave the figure of 10, those people who died, eight of them were South Africans and two were foreign nationals. So people suffer here. They suffer beyond their nationalities. Following fresh attacks and looting in central Johannesburg on Sunday, several businesses were attacked in Jew Street in Marvin overnight. Residents in Marvin say they are fed up with the violent attacks. Junior Kitenge is a foreign national running a penalty beating shop, and Samantha Pillay is a resident of Jules Street. I fear my life, you know why? Because I have three girls and, uh, and they are growing children and they can't even attend school. It's affecting us drastically. I mean, there's no local shops here where we can buy our daily necessity needs like bread, milk and so forth. I mean, they touch this whole place. This place is like a ghost town, literally a ghost town. We lost many things. Customers cars, they break, they steal some parts. So we don't know what we must do. And the government are going to help us who are foreigners here in this country because we are paying also tax. But we're surprised these things are happening. The African Diaspora Forum says it has received requests from over 400 foreign nationals so far who want to help to return to their home countries due to fear of violent attacks. Africa Diaspora Forum Chairperson Vusimuzi Sibanda. We have a lot of people that are afraid. We have over 300 that come from Mozambique that completely want to go home. 
and uh, we've got about 52 from Zimbabwe and 32 from Malawi. And right now, all they are waiting for is just for transport to go. Because having seen the gruesome matters, you know, that took place uh, in Katehong at Mandela, they definitely do not want to stay. And yes, yesterday we hear that um, two people were killed. Police continue to monitor the hotspots. I'm Tlingwim Kwanazi in Johannesburg. Some foreign nationals in Gatlehong, east of Johannesburg, say they are ready to abandon their pursuit of a better life in South Africa and go back to their countries of origin. About 800 foreign nationals have been displaced by last week's xenophobic attacks in Gatlehong and are being sheltered at community halls in the township. They were uprooted from their homes at the Mandela Informal Settlement and Ntlapo section. Pearl Makubane visited the shelters and felt this report. It seems like a normal day in Gatlehong. Children in their school uniform can be seen walking. And some stalls from local vendors open and operational. The silence and calmness is a contrast of what has been happening in this township east of Johannesburg over the past couple of days, where hundreds of people have found themselves displaced. These people are foreign nationals from Zimbabwe, Malawi, Mozambique, Somalia, and other neighboring countries. A run, a skip, a hop, and giggles as children play in the D.H. Williams Hall. The giggles are quite the opposite to the long faces displayed by their parents who find themselves destitute and with no home to go to. We are Malawi, so Mandela. I come from Malawi and I stay here in Mandela. They came at 2 p.m. during the day and told us to get out or else they will beat us up or burn our house. So I got out and ran to the police station and then came here for safety. They have burnt down Mandela. I ran with the baby. She cries because we sleep on the floor. This is not right at all. Women with their small babies are a common sight, even in the nearby Tsolo Hall. They say, right now leave everything that you are doing. Just take small clothes for your kids and run. Every foreigner who is here in Mandela, they are going to burn your clothes, burn everything in the house. That's when I just take what I could take and run away. And they were swearing at us that they don't even want to see us in Mandela. They don't want foreigners. Yeah, it's so painful. It's so painful because we know that South Africa is a good country. It's a neighboring country with Zimbabwe. Even here they are taking care of us. We are having everything, pampas for the kids, milk, food, clothes, everything. They stand in a queue waiting to receive a warm meal. Pap and chicken are on the menu with orange juice to quench the thirst. However, some have had enough and are ready to go back to their countries of origin. We feel pain because we come here to South Africa by the problem, so they break everything for our, our properties. But if a, can, if a government need to help us our properties, and we can live here. 
we, 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 we can live here to go our our countries. I come from Malawi. I am here with my wife and my child. My, my child is he's born here. He's now he got a one year and six months. Things will never be okay here. All we are asking is that we go back home safely. They must not hurt us the way they have, because this thing will turn us into criminals and it could lead to revenge. I'm alone now. I am separated from my family because I wanted them to find a safe place to hide. They have burnt all my belongings. All I have left is what I'm wearing. The city of Egoguleni has subsequently activated the Joint Operations Center to provide humanitarian and related assistance to the affected persons, as well as stabilizing the security situation in the region. Various non-governmental organizations have also responded to the humanitarian situation, providing food, medical services, blankets, mattresses, toys for the children, and sanitary material. Community leader Duma Khadebe, who is part of the task team, says that they need to engage with community members so that those displaced are protected. Uh, as much as people are saying it's a xenophobic attack, but we believe that this is a crime more than anything. Ours is that we'll make sure that uh, these people, that are safety place right now is by Chotsi. We need to engage with community members as well so that everything will go to normal. But we said to them, don't go back to the, shop, to the shops for now. We will try. There will be a time that we will, will go back. So we need to talk to the community. We need to hear from the community what they are saying and what are the challenges so that we as leaders, we can come up with solutions. Meanwhile, the halls will be the shelter and safe havens for the affected families until a permanent solution is found. News, in Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Exiled South Sudan opposition leader Riek Machar has arrived in the capital for expected talks with President Salva Kiir, a meeting seen as an important step towards the implementation of a stalled peace deal. Machar's rare visit to Juba, the first in the year, comes before a November deadline to form a power-sharing government, a key part of the pact signed by the two rivals last year to end the country's ruinous civil war. James Shimangula reports. As the countdown continues to the second week of November this year, when a new peace agreement is to be fully implemented in South Sudan, rebel leader Riek Machar is in Juba. Machar arrived in Juba from Sudan, where he lives. At this hour, Machar is holding crucial talks with his principal political and military opponent, Salva Kiir. Michael McQuay, South Sudan Information Minister, discloses crucial issues that are featuring at the two-day talks in the capital, Juba. The implementation of the revitalized agreement 
It is worth mentioning that Young Mashari is the only leader who has not come to Juba, but all the other leaders of the other parties are all here in Juba. All the forces are moved to the containment side. We are implementing the agreement in accordance with the mechanisms which were established by the agreement. So the only person who is not here is Young Mashari. Otherwise, the whole of his leadership is here, including his own wife. Makwey says lack of enough funds may hamper the smooth implementation of the peace agreement. The only obstacle which has been facing us for the issue of funding and the government has already funded the security arrangement chapter 2 is now being implemented. All the forces are in the containment site and the screening has already started after the screening. And these forces will undergo training, which may be for about 45 or even 30 days because they are not recruited. So they will only go for a refresher training after which they will be deployed. As has been said, Machar arrived in Juba. He was escorted to Juba by a powerful delegation from neighboring Sudan. This is how Makwey describes relations between Sudan and South Sudan. Our relations with the new government in Sudan are cordial, they are very good, and we have been exchanging visits, not that only, but even South Sudan now is authorized to mediate and facilitate the talks between the government of Sudan and the rebels and the opposition parties which are in Nova Mountains and Blue Nile and Darfur. So our relations with the current government are very good, they are cordial, and I'm optimistic that with them now we will be in a position to make very long strides in the implementation of the agreement. That was South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuay commenting on the presence of Riek Machar in Yuba, Mutiga Murithi, one of independent experts on Sudan and South Sudan, had this to say. I think this is a very encouraging move. The peace agreement has essentially been on ice, partly because the main guarantor last time was Omar al-Bashir, and of course, as we know, events in Sudan unfolded as they did. So there has been an essential freeze on progress in terms of peace agreement. The fact that the two leaders are meeting is very encouraging, but it is also important to note that all sides are very far behind in terms of what was supposed to be implemented before November 12. So time is of the essence, but at least it is encouraging their meeting. The question that arises is why Riek Machado was escorted to Yuba by a huge delegation including dozens of his security personnel. Morithi Motiga amplifies on this rare show of powerful escort. What we saw in 2015, there is fundamentally very low levels of trust between Salva Kiir and Riek Mashar. One of the sticking points about whether Mashar can return to Juba has been the question of his own security. The fact that he feels he needs many Sudanese security personnel to give him comfort and, and to help him feel comfortable enough to arrive in Juba just shows that at the end of the day, these people must build the trust between them. What happened uh, last time was the fact that you had a very militarized Juba with both sides bringing in a number of forces. The International Crisis Group has cautioned against such repeat of that scenario. What is essential is that all sides build trust and do not see the need to militarize Juba for them to be together. You think that uh, the meeting uh, taking place will bear fruit 
I think uh, we should acknowledge some progress. Since they signed the deal, there has been a significant reduction in violence, apart from, of course, the Thomas Cirillo forces that have continued to clash with the government troops. There has been a significant reduction of violence. I think both sides are uh, genuine in claiming that there is war weariness, there is pe- the people of South Sudan are tired and they want to move on. But let us not ignore the fact that they remain quite far apart in terms of how to take this peace agreement forward, especially the question of whether to merge the security forces on both sides to canton them and for them to, to, to work side by side. There's a lot of work that remains to be done. That was Motige Morithi, an expert on South Sudan and Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlec to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, the UN's top human rights official, Michelle Bachelet, has expressed a sadness at what she calls terrible incidents of xenophobic and gender-based killings in South Africa. Nigeria says it will repatriate some 600 Nigerians back home from South Africa after a wave of violence against foreigners which led to tensions between the two countries. And the UN's Children's Fund, UNICEF, has unveiled an installation in New York to represent the thousands of children killed in conflict zones in 2018. Those are the stories making headlines. Democratic Republic of Congo civil society groups have vowed to keep a close eye on government's activities to make sure the country is well managed. The statement follows the formation of new government last week. Channel Africa's Jean-Noël Bamweza has more from Kinshasa. Prime Minister Sylvester Ilunga Ilunga took office on Saturday replacing Bruno Chibala who has led the previous government and the former president Joseph Kabila for more than two years. Some of the ministers took office same day but most of them are doing it this week as the 66 have now to be at work after this new government was approved and inaugurated on Friday by members of parliament at this country's national assembly. President Felix Echisekedi has reminded them they have to work for the interest of the Democratic Republic of Congo's people and indeed the civil society has said it will keep a close eye to each of the government activities to make sure this country is well managed. Jean Bosco Puna is the civil society permanent secretary. Being the people's security guard will follow closely all the other appointments. The government's project is acceptable according to the president's vision for development, but the results are up to the actor's commitment to work for the high interest of the nation. People here in the Democratic Republic of Congo have remained seven full months without a legal government after President Felix Echisekedi was inaugurated in January. This analyst from the Free University of Kinshasa believes there is no more time to waste since Congolese need now to see the whole team of ministers at work. Peter Nefem Kasonko. All the preparation we need to see his work. We want to just to see him in his office. It's a fun now to plan what he, he can just go now to fulfill in the time being. As there are many, many ministries, he has now to bring the new vision, to bring the new dream to the Republic and to show people who they've become. All the preparation we need to see his work. That's why we need so to see him in action. From him, we expect the good things and the change. The Democratic Republic of Congo's people have been used to promises and nice speeches by different authorities who have ruled this country before but couldn't deliver according to their promises. And what's needed now is no more promises, no more speeches and other theories but good results to be seen by everybody. That's indeed what this analyst has told the Channel Africa. Once more, Peter Nefem Kasongo. Normally, we need to touch or to see for this time because we are not in the period to relate us the story or the meritory. No, no. At least now, we do want just to see all things in the practice. 
the parties to bring the change to the Congress. But the way, when he was just going to give us anything so it's very special, give us a new way of life, it will just uh, be good uh, things for the Republic to take a, a good way of development. Those who, who are the products of uh, Joseph Kabila, if they are not smart, they will be going to discover the new things. But when they will just be careful with the way of working, as uh, when they was with uh, Joseph Kabila themselves, they will just uh, be ashamed to the way of working. Because in the past, they have not accurate any experience of working. They have just only to manipulate money and to not use their intellectual capacity to make a good politics. But their politics have mistakes. When they did not change, depending to what Felicity Segeji are just bring now, they will be put aside themselves because the population are watching them carefully to see when they will not respect the way to practice good politics. The newly inaugurated government of the Democratic Republic of Congo is made of 65 members and Prime Minister Sylvester Ilunga Ilungamba from former President Joseph Kabila's political coalition. 42 other members are from the same coalition while the remaining 23 are from President Felix Tisekedi's coalition. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Former South African Broadcasting Corporation COO Claudio Mutsuneng's people skills and performance are what got him promoted from manager to group executive. This is according to former board chair Dr. Ben Gubani, who was testifying at the State Capture Commission in Johannesburg on Monday. Gubani chaired the Public Broadcasters Board from 2010 to 2013, during which time former public protector Tulimat Donsela made damning findings in her 2014 When Governance and Ethics Fail report. Nomalizo Mandela reports. Dr. Ngubane had told the commission that former COO Shawudu Mutsuaneng was believed to be behind the well-performing Lisedi FM. This, according to Ngubane, was the reason he was brought into the national office to assist with the underperforming radio stations. Ngubane added that Mutsuaneng had people's skill, that he was seen as a troubleshooter and assisted in dealing with the unions and that the board needed someone like him. The board felt they needed direct access to the people. And then did you raise that matter with the GCO? Well, Mr. Musuning was already in the CEO office dealing with stakeholder relations. What would be his role? Well, I'm sorry, maybe before that, on the face of it, it does look strange because the group chief executive officer is the chief officer. He or she is in charge of the whole staff. We are absolutely correct, Chairperson. You know, there was such lack of trust that the board suspended the group chief executive. Gubane denied changing the COO job advertisement to suit the qualifications or lack thereof of Mutsuaneng. Responding to evidence leader advocate Tandi Nomen, referencing former public protector Tulima Donzela's findings that Ngubane altered the advert to benefit Mutsuaneng, he said he only suggested the use of an old advertisement. Chairperson, when we were talking about hiring a search company, mm. just general discussion, I think it was in the governance committee, my view was the SAPC had already appointed a CEO who was then frustrated by the cabinet or the minister. Mr. Mbembe. 
Yes, sir. Mm. Why did you just take that report and you, I mean, that advert and use it? That was my only comment about this. Yes. Gobane said the board knew that Mutsuneng did not have a matric certificate when he was appointed in an acting capacity. He says as far as he knew, Mutsuneng never claimed he had any matric certificate. The HR report told us that there was no claim by Mr. Mutsuneng that he had a matric. Ms. Pippa Green, who was a board member, also said she knew that Mr. Mutsuneng did not have a matric that the people who employed him had merely employed him knowing this fact. And this was the position that we had. I saw the application. It said he was doing metric. It didn't say he had passed metric. Gubani also told the commission that although he knew and interacted with the Gupta brothers, they were not friends. He told evidence leader advocate Norman that he became friends with TNA editor Mohsin Williams. Among the Gupta family members, who exactly invited you? to attend these social gatherings? Well, uh, Nazim Hawa uh, was in charge of TNA, and I think it was him who did the invites. (coughs) Did you at any stage become close to the Gupta family or anybody in the Gupta family? Well, the editor of New Age, we, we got to be friends. Yes. But not the rest of the... From yes. no. SABC COO, Shawudu Mutsuneng is expected to take the stand on Tuesday. The International Civil Aviation Organization has hosted its flag on the Devil's Cataract on the Victoria Falls. Located on Zimbabwe's side with a drop of 60 meters, Devil's Cataract is the lowest of the five waterfalls making the Victoria Falls. It is separated from the rest of the falls by an inland by an island. It is on this island where the ICAO flag was pegged this past weekend. Hilda Kekula has more. The raising of the flag is one of the many events organized to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the founding of the International Civil Aviation Organization. Eastern and Southern Africa Regional Director Barry Kashombo commended Zambia and Zimbabwe for agreeing to jointly host the flag. He explained that as part of the anniversary celebrations, the Ikao flag has been hoisted on a number of iconic sites across the world. Hosting of the flag at the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. It has been hosted at the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. We had the flag hosted at the Table Mountain in Cape Town, symbolizing two issues as a landmark to the struggle against apartheid, overlooking the Robin Islands, and also as a landmark of the geographical future of that country. And today, our dream has come true that we are here in this region, in the midst of the Victoria Falls. One of the significant issues that we have in aviation that we remember for Victoria Falls is in the 1930s and 1940s, through the 1950s, there used to be a famous flight of the flying sports that would go from London to Cape Town. And they used to stop in Victoria Falls for two days, either going south or going up simply because of its scenic nature. How I would wish that that would come back. That flights going into places would stop here for a day for people to enjoy the scenery. 
So it's not a, it's not a, a celebration of the geographical future, but we are also celebrating the history of aviation. This was a significant stopover for aviation. It has been a significant stopover even before ICAO was born. In response, Civil Aviation Authority of Zimbabwe, Acting Director General Margaret Mantiziba, said the aviation industry in Zimbabwe has made a tremendous growth as it is evident by the modern extension to the Victoria Falls International Airport that was commissioned three years ago. Today we are here at the Victoria Falls uh, International Airport, one of uh, our really modern airports in the nation, which showcases our commitment to safety, to security, to the highest standards uh, in aviation. But we are not only here for the airport. After Kilimanjaro, Kenya and everything, I believe uh, Victoria Falls is up there with the rest of them. And so it is a great honor, say, for us to be able to host that flag, the ICAO flag. ICAO represents a lot in what we do in aviation. And in Zimbabwe, that's one of the hasten to add that we have benefited significantly from, the, from ICAO, from the assistance, the technical support that they give to nations to make sure that our implementation of the standards, the international standards, the international procedures, and uh, they are up to, you know, uh, to the international level. And so lately, this year, Zimbabwe is going through, you know, audits by ICAO, and I must say thank you very much, sir, for the help that you have given us. For his part, Zambia's permanent secretary and the Minister of Transport and Communications, Engineer Mishek Lungu, said realizing the important role aviation plays in the economy of the country, the Zambian government has prioritized infrastructure and skills development to grow the industry. He thanked the International Civil Aviation Organization for its continued support and promised to continue working and supporting principles and policies of ICAO. Through ICAO's support, the Zambian aviation sector has thrived and today I stand proud to say we are better than where we were as a country 20 years ago. ICAO actually honored the Republic of Zambia's effort by bestowing upon us the ICAO Council uh, President Certificate in 2017 as a testimony to the progress we have made in various areas of aviation. I want to assure you that the current administration under the leadership of His Excellency President Edgar Changalugu will continue to create an enabling environment and provide support to the aviation sector. In addition, we will continue to support the Civil Aviation Authority as a regulator to be an effective oversight authority that will see to it that the tenets of safety and security in, aviations, in aviation are adhered to at all times. In his remarks, a former Director General of the African Regional Airlines, now a consultant, Dr. Elijah Chigosho, encouraged the continued collaboration between Zambia and Zimbabwe, saying it is the only way to foster regional development. And the two states in Southern Africa, I'm always delighted by the cooperation I see among yourselves. I, I especially saw it when there was this uh, world that report by Hilda Akekelwa. Our economics update up next with Tavis Oluhuku.
Good morning. The latest travel and tourism competitiveness report shows that South Africa has emerged as one of the highest-ranked countries in travel to Sub-Saharan Africa. The report, which ranks 140 countries on the relative strength in global tourism and travel, was launched on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum on Africa, taking place in Cape Town. Although Sub-Saharan Africa is the lowest rank in travel and tourism region in this year's report, with all but three of the 36 countries performing lower than the global average. The region is expected to register the second-highest growth rate in tourism over the next 10 years. Tanzanian President John Magufuli has told Ugandan President Yuerim Zivani to do without short-term gains in terms of taxing oil companies and focus on longer-term benefit. Magufuli says tax issues were delaying the oil pipeline project. Magufuli made it clear that Uganda should sacrifice some of the short-term gains for long-term and the Uganda Revenue Authority officials should not delay. Ugandan President Yuerim Seveni says Uganda is the safest place for any investor to inject their money. Mseveni says Uganda potentially hosts 1.4 million refugees from the neighboring countries. The president is calling on investors to seek opportunities in agro-processing, infrastructure, mineral extraction and tourism, among other openings in his country. According to a new report, as the world continues to become more digital, Building an inclusive world in which the digital economy works for everyone and everywhere is crucial. Recent research jointly conducted by the Mastercard Center for Inclusive Growth and the Fletcher School at Tufts University highlights the strengths and opportunities of six major countries in Africa for harnessing the potential of technology to drive inclusive growth. The report African Leapfrog Index, which was launched during the World Economic Forum in Africa, uses Rwanda, Egypt, Ethiopia, Kenya, Nigeria and South Africa as examples to provide insights on key drivers that could accelerate digital inclusion across the continent. And on a tail end a note, a Pennsylvania couple has been charged with theft after spending thousands of dollars that their bank mistakenly deposited in their account. Robert and Tiffany Williams received $120,000 in error and then spent nearly all of it. Police say the couple also faces over $100,000 in overdraft fees, having purchased an SUV and other goods. The affidavit says that the couple in their 30s have admitted knowing the money was not theirs. The U.S. dollar trades at 358.20 Nigerian Nara, 10.76 Botswana Pula, 102.50 Kenyan Shilling and 13.12. Now that's in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.7 Brazilian roll, 65.53 Russian ruble, 71.58 Indian rupee, 7.12 Chinese yuan and 14.75 to the South African rand, 81 pence British pound, 90 cents euro, gold $1,488, platinum $931 pounds, brand crude is at $62.70 a barrel. From an African perspective, you're listening to Channel Africa.
A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we're betting off with cricket news. Proteas T20 betting coach Lance Klusner says he believes that national teams are not finishing schools. The former Proteas all-rounder Klusner, together with bowling coach Vincent Barnes, form part of coach Enoch Nguyen's coaching staff that departed for their tour of India this past weekend. Klusner laments that it is very important for the Proteas to win games against the best teams in the world, starting with their T20 series against India starting on Sunday. Yeah, I'm sure we'll chat with Korea you know, in India, but um, I have got other engagements that, that are, I've got up until probably February. But, um, you know, when, when your nation calls, then your nation calls, so, you know, there's nothing that uh, can stand in the way of that. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll chat and see how it goes. It would be wonderful to be involved. Um, how important is it to win that series in India? Does oh, very. Uh, I'm not into saying, oh, we, we're young and we're rebuilding and we're this and we're that. I mean... National teams aren't finishing schools. You come and we need to win games. The public demands that as well. You know, can't say, I, I just hate we, we're learning and we're developing and give us a chance. And No, I think we need to hit the, hit the ground running. There's, there's quality there. Um, and I don't see much point in hiding behind, oh, well, we've got gaps to fill and, you know, we've got, we're learning and we're developing and we're growing. And uh, I think that's just an excuse to, to fail. So. The former Zimbabwe assistant coach, Klusner, who also served as the Dolphins head coach between 2012 and 2016, confirms that their main focus at this stage is trying to strengthen the players' mentality. I think so. I, I think the higher you get to coach, the more mental it is. It's not that these acts can't defend and hit a four and hit a six. I think it's about reading the game better, maybe. It's about um, you know being in a better space or having a better plan see how you want to go about your innings um so um it, it's not for me it's it, it's more just giving better plans or you know one or two small technical things that i see has creeped into a lot of people but um that's not really the focus it's more about uh, just trusting yourself you know the usual stuff that we hear but you know it's easy to play lip service to that kind of stuff and that's that's something i guess myself and enoch want to try and do Tennis New South Africa will play Bulgaria in Davis Cup action this weekend. As Cape Town will host this key Euro Africa Group H tie at the Kelvin Grove Club in Newlands. It is the first time in almost two decades that Mother City will host Davis Cup action. And Team South Africa's captain Marcos Andruska says he's excited to be back in the city, as are the players like Lloyd Harris, who hails from the city. I love it. Um, you know, it's been a really long time since we last had a Davis Cup here in Cape Town. Uh, I think we showed up yesterday and we were greeted by Cape, Town, Cape Town's typical weather, which was like a windstorm showing up last, last night. But today is perfect. There's not a breath of wind, barely. Uh, and the guys, more importantly, are super excited about playing here uh, where they grew up and they have all their friends and family over here. So um, they're really fired up about playing this team here. And, uh, you know, based on today's performance over here, I think I'm... I'm I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, you know, it's an unbelievable facility and uh, all the guys have played and practiced at different places around Cape Town. And uh, again, one of the reasons was they hadn't played a tie here in Cape Town and uh, they wanted to bring it home and uh, play here. So, uh, yeah, we're all very happy. And finally, Habib Sise, former legal advisor to disgraced IAAF ex-president Lamin Diag 
has been banned for life for corruption and fined. According to the IWF, its ethics panel had found Sise guilty of helping to cover up doping violations by Lilia Shobukova and other Russian athletes. Sise was accused of independent investigator Dick Pound in 2016 of being part of a clique that ran by Dick and Diak that covered up organized doping in the sport. Diak, who is to be tried in France on charges of corruption and money laundering, diverted the handling of Russian doping cases to Sise, who was serving at the time as the Senegalese personal lawyer. The well-governing body added that it would not publish the full reasons for its decision until police investigations and legal proceedings against Sise and others had ended. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. South Sudan's exiled opposition leader Riek Machar arrives in Juba and South Africa's international relations minister meets ambassadors to ease tensions. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Tutungobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Simi with a song titled Umatalela.